Good morning. How are y'all doing today? Good. I just want to brag a little bit. Um, we uh, had the opportunity last night to uh, eat a great meal together and uh, be all in love with each other and whatnot. Uh, we had the commu- the um, not community love the uh, what was it called the the Valentine's dinner and it was for couples. I felt it was a little wrong. We should have a singles Valentine's, don't you think? Maybe <laughs> Dan's going amen, you know. Because uh, but it was great because I know some some folks got get sick of people mushing all over each other in public and uh, we did it in private. <laughs> it was really cool though, so I just want to brag on that a little bit. Um, for those who've been with us uh, for the last few weeks, we've been talking about this idea of walking with Jesus, this idea of, uh, of what it would look like to, uh, to follow Jesus, the rabbi, Jesus, the human. Uh, I was talking to one of my sons about something related, as things usually are. And um, John's in the fifth grade, fourth grade, fourth grade, right, John? Stand up, Johnny, real quick. No, okay. Well... He's in the fourth grade, and um, he was having a conversation with a friend of his on the playground, on the playground. And uh, he was just telling me, and he goes, Dad, I have a question. I'm like, what? And he's like, Jesus is real, right? I go, yeah, Jesus is real. And he goes, but Jesus was real, right? I'm like, well, yeah, Jesus was real, John. He goes, because I met this kid today on the playground, and he said, Jesus isn't real. I'm like, well, you know, people have a hard time if they don't understand, if they don't have faith. They have a hard time understanding what we're talking about Jesus. And we talked to this and he goes, well, no, no. He said, Jesus was never real. Jesus never existed. And I was like, what? And he goes, yeah, this kid says Jesus didn't exist. Historically, that's what he meant. Didn't exist as a human being. And I was like flabbergasted by a couple things. First of all, that I don't remember having those conversations in the playground when I was in school. Like, I don't know about you guys, but we were more, I don't know what we were doing. We were talking about Jesus being real or not real on the playground. And I just think that that, that it's spoken to the reality that we live in right now. That everything's contested. Everything's up for grabs. And the trouble with it all is that your opinion is as good as mine. So if you say Jesus never existed at all and you want to believe that, then you can, which is ludicrous. And so I told John, I said, well, of course Jesus historically existed. Of course he did. And we talked what that meant. And then we talked more about what it meant that Jesus is still alive, which is something that we take by faith. I am just floored by that fact that there are people who are teaching their children that Jesus, the historical figure, didn't exist. It's amazing. Never mind faith in the resurrection of Jesus, the historical account. And so this study we've been doing has been a bit like looking at that, this historical, contextual, living, breathing, born of Mary, Jesus. This guy that they said, he's from Nazareth. Everybody knew Jesus. Everybody knew who Jesus was. I mean, they, they knew. They didn't know who Jesus was like you know who Jesus is. They knew Jesus like, that's the carpenter's son. He's that kid that lived down the block whenever I was growing up. That's the Jesus that we're talking about a bit. And something else I wanted to get out a little bit as we get started here is um, there's so much fake in our culture these days. You know, never mind misinformation about historical accounts. But there's so much that's just not true, even though it's real. And I'll try to explain this a little bit. Um, I was, uh, I don't know where I even saw this at, but I remember I saw some photo of a celebrity without makeup on. And she had just been on the cover of some magazine where she looked 
perfect. You see what I'm saying? She didn't just look good. She looked absolutely, 100%, according to our cultural standards, perfect. And um, I was intrigued because the photo, everyone loved looking at. The real fill-in-the-name here. It was a photo they took when she was going to the grocery store. And she had her kids, and she was all disheveled, and she was a mess. I mean, she wasn't even attractive, to be honest with you. And she had just been on the cover. And so they put these things side by side. People loved it. People were forwarding it. Look at this. Look at this picture of this woman. This is what she really looks like. You know what? I think there's part of that that we're like tearing. You don't want to tear people down. And I don't think that that's what's really going on there. I think that it's so freeing to know that they're just humans like us. You know what I'm saying? Like, we put it, these things on these pedestals that they can't be reached. The trouble is, it's artificial. It's artificial. Jesus was not artificial in any way. Jesus was real. Jesus is real. And he's this guy that walked among people. He dared. He was God in the flesh who had come down to dwell among us. And that's what we're talking about. Not this airbrush Jesus. Not this Jesus on the cover of, you know, the latest Christian publication. Not this, you know, guy. His head didn't glow when he walked around. Can you believe that? Do you know he didn't? You ever seen those things? Oh, holy. That's, that's no way, man. Um, I was talking to... Uh, Someone after worship one Sunday, the idea that Jesus had to be betrayed by one of those who knew him. Because in a crowd, the Romans couldn't pick him out. You see, Jesus was just like you and me in his human form. There was nothing until you came into a relationship with Jesus. There was nothing that was really awe-inspiring, particularly about him. Now, that sounds ridiculous. Because if, if um, you've been going along with us, we've seen some pretty awe-inspiring things come out of this human Jesus. Uh, we've seen the virgin birth of Jesus. We've seen the, the, uh, these shepherds come out of the fields and, uh, and drop before the king, the child who was born king. We see Andrew and Simon, the first uh, disciples that Jesus calls, Disciples, by the way, where we're talking about a lot today. Disciples are just those who are under his teaching. Just those guys who are wanting to learn. He says, come follow me. That's the invitation to all of you. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be a saint. You don't have to have one of those glowing things over your head to follow Jesus. You just got to be willing to learn as the master teaches. And so the first disciples were there at the wedding whenever he turned water into wine, which we talked about. I just still love that. Uh, we were there at the baptism of Jesus when he came up out of the water. When John himself baptizes Jesus and he comes up out of the water and then John gets it. This is the guy. This is the one that God's been talking about for thousands of years. The baptism of Jesus. We talked about the calling of his disciples out of their boats to come and to be the ones who would learn under him. And I just, I hope you can identify with disciples because they were nothing more or less than you. I hope you hear that. There were nothing more or less than what you are, where you are right now. I know too many people, and this really frustrates me as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, that say, I won't come to church because I'm not good enough yet. If you wait until you are good enough to serve the King of Kings, you will never serve the King of Kings. But you will also never grow into who you can be, who God has made you to be. And I pray that 
that would be your goal as a disciple of Jesus. You might say to me today, I don't even believe in Jesus. I don't believe that Jesus is my Savior. Praise God because you're here. Which means you're awfully close to being a disciple. Because the truth of the matter is, the disciples didn't believe in Jesus. Until they hung out with him too long. Because if you keep hanging around Jesus, it's sooner or later, you start to get it. And when you start to get it, you start to get it. You know? You start to serve. You start to see things differently. Well, these two disciples were called, just like you and I, out of their fishing boats into the kingdom of God to serve their king and to follow Jesus. Didn't have it all figured out. And then last week we talked about Jesus' healing touch and, uh, just something about, I just love, I want to just talk about that for a second. I we talked a lot last week. That word, when he reached out and touched him, we talked about that in small group today a little bit more, you know. It's this, I don't know what that is, but that's what it was talking about. That space right there in your hand. Something about the way he would go up and grab someone as one who had authority, reclaiming them. It's amazing. And this idea that the healer touches The healer is not some off-in-a-distance guy who wishes things to be so and they are so. He's the guy in there getting his hands dirty for our sake. He's the guy who became sin that we might be sinless before God. This is the Jesus we've been following these last few weeks. we got a couple of things of business to talk about this morning. Um, Church business. I want to tell you about uh, something we're doing differently today. Man, these screens are awesome, aren't they? Look at those things. They're amazing. They're going to look like that the rest of the service. How about that? They're going to be totally blank. Because one thing that we've been talking about as leadership is this idea that we are a family Bible church, right? And there's something, this word, this word changed my life. And if you're coming here on Sundays and listening, that's awesome. And if you've been hanging out with us, that's awesome. You've been serving, that's awesome. But until you get into this, until you dare on your own time, on your own terms, open this, crack it open and look at it, you will not be transformed in the way you could be. And so part of our desire as a church is that you would have a Bible. You have a Bible? That you would open your Bible and that you would read your Bible. Okay? And so... um, so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to open the Bibles together. So I want to say, uh, if, there are, if there are Bibles on the floor, could you grab those? Even if you have one, can you grab that Bible off the floor for me? Here's one right there. Let's just pick those up. You know, that really bothers me a little bit that we put those on the floor. Does that bother anybody else? It's the Word of God. Thank you. Got an amen in the back. It's the Word of God and we treat it like it's a, a little piece of trash. Just throw it down there. Let's not do that anymore. If you need a Bible... Somebody's probably got two right now because they brought one with them. Grab that from them or get that to the person who needs it. We're going to look at this together. We're going to be looking from the book of Matthew today. The book of Matthew is in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 14. We're going to turn there together. Matthew 14, verse 13. We're talking about Jesus feeding I just love the sound of that right there already. It's good. Who's lost right now in their Bible? Who's like, I don't know where... Uh, you know, uh, don't ever be afraid to use a table of contents. That's what it's there for. <laughs> Dan's giving me a name on that one. Uh, you, you know, yeah, we'll just move on from that. But 
Love that. Love it. Here we go. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. This is what the text says. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by a boat privately to a solitary place. And hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that we can go into the, they can go into the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus said, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about five thousand men, besides the women and children. Let's pray. Father God, we are uh, grateful to be here today. um, And here in this place, gathered as a community of believers, uh, to hear from you. We know you are everywhere, and we know you speak all days, every moment. And uh, we just pray, Lord, that right now that uh, you would clear our minds, to open our hearts and soften them, that we might uh, hear the truth from your word today. Do your will among our lives and speak into us. We love you and thank you for everything. In Jesus' name, amen. So that's the story. Who's heard the story before? Like almost all of us, right? It's a great story. It's a great story. And this comes, I want to look at the context a little bit. It comes, and we've been talking about John the Baptist and his relationship with Jesus. Look what happens right above it. See, this is what's great about having your own little copy of the Word to look at now. Because look right above it, what happens? John the Baptist, the one proclaiming the wide road, is beheaded. That's what it says, the beginning of chapter 14. John the Baptist was uh, put to death because of his uh, calling out King Herod on his sin. And when Jesus hears what had happened, that's where we start right there. See, Jesus heard. What did he hear? He heard that John the Baptist had been killed. And when he heard what had happened, Jesus withdrew by boat to a solitary place. This is, again, this this movement we see of Jesus from being among the people. He's been healing the people. He's been serving in his ministry. And then he hears of this, and you can't help but think he is, in some way, he, he's compassionate, he is affected. He is not, again, this kind of pie-in-the-sky-by-and-by guy who is not acknowledging what's happening in the world. He loved John. He loved John. And he's going to talk about John later in his ministry. What happened when John was beheaded? But when he hears of this, he withdraws. And I just love that. This cadence that he has of life. He's out among the people and he's serving and ministering. And then he, he pulls back. Because you know what? He has a lot of work to do, right? Jesus says, I'm going to go be alone. The other texts on this tell us that he went with his disciples. Withdrew by boat. He went to them and said, hey guys, let's get out of here. We need to spend some time alone. We're going to talk about that in a little bit as well. And so Jesus withdrew to a solitary place. And when the crowds heard this, there's a lot of hearing going on here. See, Jesus heard about John. He withdraws by boat. And the crowd hears that Jesus is withdrawn from the place that he is. The crowds followed him on foot from the towns. Okay? Now you can imagine, why is Jesus trying to get away by boat? It's like the great escape, you know? Because everywhere he goes on land, he's inundated. And you can imagine, it must have been like a shortcut. You ever tried to beat someone across the lake kind of thing, you know? 
you run and I'll go across in the boat. You will guarantee you I will get across the lake in the boat first, you would think, right? Um, and so Jesus withdraws by boat, but the people go by foot. When they hear it, they go by foot from all the towns. So word starts to spread. He's on the move. He's on the move. He's leaving again. You remember he did this before, right? Capernaum. He went out to the lonely place. The disciples came out. And they said, hey, what are you doing out here? And he said, he was out there by, you know, he's out there alone. He was praying. He was getting some solitary time. That's okay. It's okay. There's a message there for us. You need some time alone? That's okay. Man, I talked about it yesterday a little bit. I said, how's your day today? I said, man, I don't I didn't do much today. I said, well, neither did I. That's okay, isn't it? We have to have every day filled to the brim, nonstop action, go, go, go. Jesus withdrew. But in the same way, whenever those disciples came and found him there in the desert, he said, we're not going back to Capernaum, we're going over here. And this is the same thing they're getting used to. So the crowds hear where he's going, and they run ahead of him from all the towns. When Jesus had landed... He saw such a large crowd. See? They got there before him. Now, I hope he had his time of peace in the boat. Because that's all he's going to get from these folks. Right? You know, can you identify with that at all? You're you're serving, you're doing, you're doing, you're doing, and you have some personal thing that you go try to deal with, and people just need, they need, they need, you know? And I hope that in that time, that boat... Maybe with the disciples there, maybe they just went, maybe they took their time. Maybe that's why the large crowds were there. Maybe they didn't row as fast as they could to go beat them. Maybe they're just like, man, let's just enjoy this for a minute, you know? Let's regroup. Spend some time in prayer. Here's Jesus, you see. When he lands and he sees a large crowd, he has compassion. He's that moving in his gut. And he heals their sick. He picks up where he left off, the other side of the, of the lake, the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And as evening approached, the disciples came to him, and they said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. I love what's happening to the disciples here. Because Jesus comes along and says, Hey guys, follow me. And they're like following Jesus, you know. Hey, let's go follow Jesus. And he's just doing these amazing things. He's healing people. He's doing all these great things. And they're starting to see this stuff happening. But yet here somehow... They decide to give him a little advice. Do you see that? Do you love that? They come to Jesus, who's healing these folks, and they say, this is a remote place, Lord. And it's getting very dark outside. I mean, what do you think that he didn't know about what was going on right now? What do you think in this he had missed? That it was remote or that it was getting dark? Had he missed any of this? And then they tell him, you know what you need to do? Let me give you a little advice. Now, I'm not you, but if I were... I would send these people away. So they're going to give him some advice on what he should do. So they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replies to them, they don't have to go away. You can give them something to eat. This same story is recorded four times in the Bible. And it's recorded in all the synoptic Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke. And it's recorded in John as well. Now in John, John has Jesus asking the question first. John, in John's gospel, <coughs> excuse me, Jesus says, uh, what are we going to feed these guys? You know what? Let's turn there right quick. John's like a few chapters behind. Turn to John 6 real quick. 
John 6, chapter 1, or uh, verse 1, I'm sorry. And we're in verse 5. This is what he says in John's gospel, and I love the, the difference that John looks at this. He says, when Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming toward him, he says to Philip, so now you can see Jesus sees this great crowd coming towards him. He says to Philip, he says, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? See, this is John's interpretation of this. But here's what John says about it. John says then, the narrative voice kicks in. He says, well, he asked this only to test him because he already had in mind what he was going to do. I just love the different look of that. Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, they come to Jesus. We have a plan. We have a plan. We have a plan. And in John's gospel, Jesus comes to them and says, hey guys, what are, you, what are, you, what are we going to do on this? Why do I bring this up? I bring this up because Jesus always has a plan. Do you believe that? And I believe that. Jesus always has a plan. And you see, in our human side, we think he doesn't know what he's doing. You know? So we're going to roll up to Jesus and say, hey, I got a little advice for you. You know what we need to do. This is too much of our prayer lives. God, if you would just listen to me on this one thing, I can tell you what should happen. You know? That's the way we pray, isn't it? We don't pray as if God knows what he's doing. You know, because it's like the guy who's out, the, uh, the artillery commander out in the field, he's calling back to the base, and they're so far removed from the war, they don't know what's happening. But this is not the testimony of Jesus, because he's not off in the base. He's been here. He's lived among us. He's walked where you've walked. The Bible says he's experienced every pain that you've experienced. He's owned that. He's felt that. We're not calling back to some, some God who's removed. We follow a God who's been here and who has a plan. And so here he goes. He says, they don't have to go away. In verse 16 of Matthew, we're back in Matthew 14. But you give them something to eat. Now here's the disciples' response. So they've already given them a plan A. Their plan A is send these guys away and let them go and get some food at the, and, and some food and some accommodations at the local towns. Because we're in a lonely place, Jesus. And he said, they don't have to go away. You give them something to eat. And this is their response. Well, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. You see what happens? What's happening? You see it? Jesus has already said, they don't have to go away. And that's what he said. The thing's going to drive me nuts today right here. He said, they don't have to go away, but you give them something to eat. And what did the disciples see? They don't see promise. They don't see hope. They don't see what God has planned. All they see is the lack of it. Do you see that? But all we have, all we have, you're talking to Jesus. No, that's us. Because we get it. I'm telling you, these folks didn't understand. They weren't as wise as we are. (laughs) And so they're like, you know, all we have are five loaves and two fish. The Gospel of John, by the way, that wasn't even theirs. You know, the Gospel of John says, a little boy has five loaves and two fish. I can tell you what the disciples were thinking. I'm going to go out and live here and say what I was thinking. This is what I'd be thinking. There's 12 of us and one of you. We've got five loaves and two fish. We can probably make do with five loaves and two fish, Jesus. But there's 5,000 people over there. This is all we have. 
We're going to go to Isaiah. Roll back to Isaiah for a minute. I, I, you know, we've been doing some things as leadership in, in this church. Uh, we pray on behalf of this church. I mean, I'm not saying we pray. We do pray. But we do things, I pray, on behalf of this church. And one of the things that we were doing earlier is we were talking about uh, fasting. And I want to encourage you, if you've never fasted before, don't, it don't be a high, holy thing. Just, just try it. Just try to go 24 hours without food or 36 hours without food or whatever, you know, God lives in your heart, 48 hours, 72 hours. Just try it. But as, I, as we were looking at these things together, um, Isaiah chapter 58, verse 6. You can turn there if you want to. You don't have to. We're going to stay in Matthew, so keep your finger in Matthew. That's where we're working from today. <clears throat> and this is what it says in, in verse 6. It talks about fasting, the true fasting that's found pleasing to God. But in verse 6, this is what it says. God's, God is speaking to folks who are complaining because God isn't hearing them make requests because they've been fasting. And in verse 6, he says, Is not this the kind of fasting that I have chosen? To loosen chains of injustice, untie cords of the yoke, and break every yoke that exists. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, clothe him. And don't turn away from your own flesh and blood. Isn't that what I require? And he says, and he makes a promise, and then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear, and your righteousness will go before you, they'll go ahead of you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Be completely enclosed, you see. The fasting that God finds pleasing. And you will call out, and the Lord, Yahweh, will answer. And you will cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. I bring that up because it seems to be the same situation the disciples are in, doesn't it? What does God find pleasing? What is Jesus trying to do in Matthew? You see, Jesus is interested in more than feeding 5,000 people. Do you see that in the text? His primary concern is not how to feed these folks because Jesus has a plan. He knows they're going to be fed. He is not worried about this a bit. He has other concerns than the immediate. And I'll tell you what it is. He's training his disciples. Their first plan A, send these folks away. And Jesus says, no, you're going to feed them. And then their second plan A, or their second plan is, yeah, well, their second excuse is, well, this is all we have. This is all we have. He's training disciples to stop being that way. I've heard a lot of people, you know, you talk, uh, talking to folks, and what can I do? Do you watch the evening news? What can I do to make a difference in the world? People are being shot. There's wars. What can I do? I can't do anything. So we go to pray, and this is the way we pray to God. Oh, God... I just have so little. I don't have much at all. I love you and I know you. But what can I do? Sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? Praying to the King of Kings. The God who can do anything. But this is what we settle for. Jesus is training disciples. 
when he asks these questions. So finally, he has to tell them explicitly. And it's in verse 18. He says, bring them here to me. This is what he says about you're too little. Bring it to me. You say, all I got. You know what the trouble is? I think the truth of the matter is when we confess with our lips, all we have, Lord, we don't have enough to do what you're asking us to do. You know what we're really saying? We want it for ourselves. You can't have that. That's all I got left. We talked this morning in a small group about being empty. And Jesus says, bring it to me. Bring me your emptiness. Bring me the very last that you have. See what I'll do with it. Bring it to me. And Jesus directs the people to sit down on the grass. I love the fact that in John's Gospel it says, because there was lots of grass in that place. You know, everything's a provision of God. Even the grass they had to sit on while they waited to be fed. By the way, the 5,000 didn't seem to be worried about food, did they? Does it say they were worried about food? They might have been hungry, but they were where they wanted to be. I'm sure there were some people in the back. I'm sure there were people in the back of the crowd who had a long wait. They're going, maybe we should run into town and grab some McDonald's and come back. When this line dies down. Now these people were there. They weren't going to lose their spot in line. The people concerned about the lack of food and sending people away were the disciples. They're the ones that are saying, there's too much need. We can't do this. We don't have enough. And Jesus says, bring the little bit that you have to me. And he tells people to sit down on the grass that's been provided by God from the sit on. Isn't that awesome? And taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the bread. See, this is Jesus' response. You bring anything, any little thing to Jesus and just give it to him. And he'll take it. I'll tell you what, though, you won't get it back the way you gave it to him. You see that? He breaks this. This is their meal. The disciples. Now they're being faithful here. They're obedient. You know, he has to tell them explicitly, but they're obedient. And he breaks their meal in half. And he looks up to heaven and he says, Thank you, Father, for this abundant provision. And there they are. And then he gave the bread to the disciples. And the disciples gave the bread away to the people. Whew. You see, they're starting to get it. They start giving the food to the people. And this is what the text says in verse 20. And everyone, all, every single person ate. And not they didn't just eat. They didn't just eat a little bit and then go, well, that's good for a minute. You know, they ate. And you know what it says? They were satisfied. They ate till they were full. They ate, you know what John says? They ate as much as they wanted. Of the five loaves and two fish. I don't know what the disciples were thinking in this deal. Because they keep going back to the table. Can you imagine? They're, they sat by fifties and hundreds. Five thousand people. And they're going back and they're going, Oh, I got some more here. I'll go back over. I'm going to give them some more. And they're passing it around. And you know what I'd be thinking... How many of you ever served? We were talking to Amanda last night. She served at the uh, at the uh, Valentine's dinner 
I saw you guys. You, you guys waited, didn't you, until the very end to eat. Didn't you? I know whenever I've done that before, we always set a plate aside for ourselves earlier, you know. Go, go ahead and make yourself something because they're going to eat it all. <laughs> you know? And, but you're the servant, and so you've got to wait. And, uh, and I bet these guys were thinking, how much more can there be? Oh, one of these times I'm going to go back and it's going to be out, you know? I'm going to go back over there and that's going to be it. And Jesus can go, well, that was good, wasn't it? They all ate. You guys are hungry, but that's cool. That's what, no. Everyone ate. And everyone, everyone was satisfied. And then it says, the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate were about 5,000 besides women and children. 5,000 people besides women and children had eaten. How much did they pick up was left over at the end? 12 basketfuls. What does that mean? What does that mean? Can you imagine uh, being a disciple? And you're serving and you're serving and you're serving. And you were the guy who thought there wasn't enough. But there's too much. There's too much. And then Jesus says, now go back over and gather up everything that's left. Because we don't want to waste any of it. So here you come, Peter. Here you come, Philip. And you're carrying a basket that's full of bread and fish. How do you deal with that? As one who was saying, there's not enough. And now you're carrying back more than enough for you. God turns our selfishness into selflessness. And it's hard to get our heads around it because what we see is what the world has. And it's not enough. We can't make a difference. But at the end of the day, if you give yourself away, you come back to the king, you're full Absolutely full. Because take heart, brothers and sisters, in the hands of Jesus, very, very little is way more than enough. We're going to do something today um, that we've done for thousands of years. And we're, uh, and it was something so simple. It was something so basic that no one even thought anything of it. I mean, they've been doing it every year Passover supper. Nothing unique here. And uh, Jesus took these ordinary things, things that uh, we all take for granted. And he began to speak into them. He began to make them something more 
things. These very little things. I found it interesting that this is recorded. We were reading out of the 14th chapter of Matthew. This is recorded in the 14th chapter of Mark. And it's the Passover supper of unleavened bread. And Jesus calls the disciples together. Do you remember the story? He sends them in to prepare a place, to prepare a table. And he says, when you get there, they're going to expect you. They just tell them, I need a place to eat the Passover with my rabbi. And so they do it, these disciples who've been following him. And they start to go and make the preparations. And they bring him to the table. Now you see, they think they know what's happening. Because this is how disciples work. got it figured out but they're still amazed because just like he said everything's prepared and they didn't do anything to get it ready they just showed up but here they said and the table's been put before them think this is an ordinary day we're going to do what we've been always doing we've always been doing the same stuff and when they come to the table with Jesus they find out he has something else in mind listen to what it says On the day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, he gathered his disciples. And taking the bread, he broke it. And he gave everyone gathered there as much as they wanted. And he said, Disciples, take and eat every one of you this bread the bread of my body which will be broken for you